Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 to 9. The ESV has entitled it, Isaiah's Vision of the Lord. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. And that will be the preaching portion of our sermon today. Uh, this is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Okay, thank you too. <laughs> no problem, Carlos, if you have preached my sermon. Because if you uh, cannot understand my sermon here, you understood my sermon through Carlos. <laughs> okay, I am here one more time. Can you feel the air cake, uh, earth cake now here? Uh, are my knees. <laughs> uh, brothers and sisters, I, I hope that uh, my English uh, has improved. Uh, but if no, please uh, help me, correct me after the sermon, my ro- uh, wrong words, uh, because I need to learn this language. <laughs> it's always a, a challenge to preach in, in English uh, because we are in a process uh, to get this this language. May the grace and peace uh, be with everyone here. It's a pleasure to share the the word of God with with you. Uh, we have uh, read the text. For this reason, I would like to invite you to pray for this sermon. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for uh, this time before your holy presence, Father. We need to receive uh, your voice speaking to our hearts. Father, please give us this blessing. Uh, Help us to understand your message because this is your message from your heart to our heart. Father, uh, help me because you know know that I have some limitation with this language and... uh, 
my desire is that my my brothers and sisters can uh, listen your voice, Father. Uh, please, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, dear church, this text tells us about God's calling to Isaiah. In it, we find great lessons about God's calling for each of us. It's important to understand that if you are in Christ, it is because one day we were called through the gospel to salvation in Jesus. But when we read the scriptures, uh, we see that once we are saved, God also calls us to the service of his kingdom. When we talk about this calling to serve, the Bible shows us the church with a double vocation. The first vocation is to be a worshiping community. And the second is to be a missionary, uh, missionary community. As worshipers, we must worship God in every situation of our lives, seeking a way of life that pleases Him in everything, including the most common things in our daily lives. Paul teaches us this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. Uh, Paul tells this, So, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. But as missionaries, we are responsible for making him known through the proclamation of the gospel wherever uh, we are, be it in Africa or in our own neighborhood. According to the example in Jesus, this must happen intentionally. Peter explains it this way. Peter chapter, uh, first, first uh, uh, letter of Peter, chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light worship and mission are intrinsically connected through a life of worship we give testimony testimony about him but through mission we proclaim him. John Piper in the book, Let the Nations Be Glad, tells us that if you are a true worshiper, you will be a missionary. If we are not missionaries, it is because we are not true worshipers or because, because we still do not understand our calling to mission. Isaiah understood God's calling. Isaiah understood. He lived in a time of great transitions. Isaiah was called by God during a time of corruption and immorality among God's people. 
They gave in to their own desires and passions and surrendered to the temptations of a falling uh, and broken wor world. They became hypocrites before God because they wanted to serve the Lord without abandoning, abandoning their sins. In the first chapters of the book of Isaiah, God denounces, denounces the sins of the people and calls them to repentance. God calls them to a new disposition of heart and a change of attitude. Isaiah was this instrument through which God went to his people to deal with them. Just like Isaiah, God also calls us to serve him in the midst of an immoral and corrupt generation. We are in the same situation. We have the same calling. What is God's calling for us? Uh, sorry. Uh, uh, all of us who are in Christ have our calling. What is God's calling for your life? I will repeat. What is God's calling for your life? I'm sure it's not just sitting in a church chair every Sunday listening to good sermons. If he called you to save you, he also called you to serve him. When God calls us to service, he wants us to understand some things first. In this passage, we can see four of them. The first thing God wants us to learn is about the, His holiness. Verses 1 to 3. In these three verses, Isaiah has an extraordinary vision. Surely you know that our God is holy. Correct? Yes? Amen? God is holy. Praise the Lord. Isaiah knew it too. Uh, however, God wanted to teach Isaiah something more about his holiness. God wanted him to have a new perspective on divine holiness. If Isaiah needed this teaching, we need it even more. In this vision, Isaiah contemplates a wonderful scenario. What he sees initially leaves him in a state of ecstasy. He sees a movement in which heaven and earth merge. Isaiah sees the Lord sitting on the high and lifted throne, however, not in heaven, but in the temple. The train of his whole robe filled the temple, indicating that God is among his people and rules sovereignly with all his glory that spreads everywhere through his presence. But an interesting thing happens. The text tells us that above the Lord 
sitting on this throne were seraphim with six wings each. With two, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they flew. They cried out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. While they declared that, they expressed their wonder at that glorious presence. One said to the others, Holy, another repeated, Holy. Then another repeated, Holy. Some commentators think that triple repetition is a reference to the Trinity. According to Jewish interpretations of the days of Christ, this triple repetition is intended to emphasize that God's holiness is from a perspective that we cannot understand or attain. He is uh, of incomparable, unattainable, and immeasurable holiness. There is no other like Him. There is no other like our God. This divine condition distances us from God. We are very, very far from God because of His holiness. The seraphim understood this so much so that, still in a state of purity and holiness, they worshipped before the presence of God with an attitude of deep reverence. They did not consider themselves worthy to look to the Lord or even to touch, touch the physical space where the Lord's feet were. If this expression of such deep reverence and fear was dedicated by pure and perfect beings, shouldn't we, who are impure and imperfect, seek to be as reverent as they are? The sad thing is that we sometimes disregard the need for a life of reverence and holiness in the way we speak, in the way we act, in the way we think, in how we dress, in how, how, sorry, in how we dress, in how to date, in how to use our cell phone, in how we deal with our things. Remember, dear church, our God is holy, holy, holy. It's important to understand this. It's the word of God that is telling us. How do we present ourselves before God? How do we present ourselves before God? Have you ever thought, if God appeared to us here now in all His holiness, how would we behave? 
how would we behave? Would it be the same way we behave now with him in the things of his kingdom? Do you remember when God manifested himself to Moses on Mount Sinai and gave him the tables of the law? How did God's people react to the manifestations of his presence? I will show you. Exodus chapter 20, verse 18 to 19. The text tells us, Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Wow, strong, no? Strong, my dear ones, we need to understand that our God loves us totally, unconditionally, and eternally. He was able to give his own son, own son for us. But we must remember that he's not a man like us. John Calvin tell us, tells us that we must be careful not to treat God as if he were one of us of flesh and blood. God is God, infinite in existence, worthy of receiving all the honor and all the glory that should be attributed to him in holiness, deep reverence and great fear. What a tremendous privilege Isaiah had. This spectacle would leave anyone amazed. But what was a great moment of contemplation became into a feeling of despair because God has a second thing to teach Isaiah and us. The second thing God wants us to learn is about the state of misery of man. Chapter 6, verse 4 to 5. In these verses, we can see that something has changed drastically. We are sinners. I believe that no one has any doubts about this. Isaiah was also fully aware of this. But he needed to learn something more. From verse 4 onwards, uh, the picture of contemplation is complete. At the sound of the voices proclaiming the holiness of God, the foundations of the threshold shook. Suddenly, the temple filled with smoke. Isaiah understood that event because it was known to God's people that during the days of pilgrimage through the desert 
to the promised land whenever the tabernacle filled with smoke, it was because God was present. And if God was present with the holiness of his glory, entering the tabernacle was a danger. A danger. The smoke was a way to protect the people from the presence of God's glory in the tabernacle. Anyone who entered the presence of God without being invited and without going through an entire purif purification process would die. Would die. When Isaiah saw the cloud of smoke filling the temple and preventing the image on the throne from being seen, he realized that this had already happened. He had seen the Lord. Isaiah's heart was filled with fear. Uh, a fear that breaks out into a declaration of death. Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. The new perspective on God's holiness gave Isaiah a new perspective on his state of misery. As if a light shined in every corner of Isaiah's life and his reality was completely exposed, he begins to see his own heart more deeply, his motivations, his desires, his words and actions, the reality around him. Everything in Isaiah's life at that moment seemed to exhale the bad smell of his own sin. A very strong feeling of despair took over Isaiah's heart. He became depressed to the point where he felt like he was dead. My dears, J.I. Parker, a Canadian theologian in the book Rediscovering Holiness, reminds us that the more holy we become, become through our relationship with God, the closer we become to God, the closer we are to the light of God's presence, the more consciousness of sin we have, the more unworthy we feel, the more careful we become, the more in need of mercy we are, and the more reverent we are. J.R. J.I. Parker, can we really understand how sinful we are? Can we really understand how sinful we are? You can be sure, sure we are more sinful than we think. If God exposed everything we think, 
So, say, so, so, yes. Uh, and do throughout our lives in front of everyone, perhaps a large part of those who are uh, with us would no longer be there. Many would no longer trust us or would see us in the same way. Perhaps then we would better understand what Isaiah tells us in chapter 65, verse 6. We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our, our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. My beloved, I wish we didn't have to know how terrible we are, but God needs to reveal our, our real condition to us. We need to understand how unworthy we are of having a relationship with Him and how unworthy we are of being able to serve Him. But the vision doesn't end here. It would be desperate if that were the case. Isaiah, overcome with despair, awaits death. However, God still has something more to teach Isaiah and us. The third thing God wants us to learn is about the redeeming grace. Verse 6 to 7. After the dis desperate moment in verse 4 and 5, something wonderful happens in verse 6 to 7. While Isaiah's heart is filled with terror, terror one of the seraphim, seraphim takes a burning coal from the altar, altar and comes towards him. I wonder what Isaiah's first thought would have been when this seraphim comes towards him, when what he expected was death. My dears, Isaiah is surprised by something unexpected. Instead of destroying him as he deserved, that seraphim, seraphim gentle touch, touched Isaiah's lips with the burning coal granting him purification from his sins. The altar from which the burning coal was taken was the altar of sacrifice. Isaiah deserved to be killed on that altar, but the altar that should have been a path to death for Isaiah turned into an opportunity for life. Death had to happen because God's holiness was offended. In order for Isaiah to be released from death and forgiven of his sins, someone would have to take his place. Someone would have to take 
his place. In the Old Testament, those were the animals that were sacrificed and burned on that altar. However, Hebrews chapter 10 verse 4 tells us that the blood of animals could never truly purify those for whom they were sacrificed, but only the blood of a similar person, a perfect similar person. And this is Jesus Christ, the perfect lamb. The blood of Jesus shed on that sacrificial altar in the, is the only thing that can bring life and purification. The coal could purify because it carried the blood of the sacrifice on it. Not the blood of Isaiah, but the blood of the substitute. And the blood through which Isaiah was justified and cleansed from his sins is the blood, blood of the one whom he saw sitting, sitting on the throne. This was Jesus. How do we know this? Because the gospel of John chapter 12 verse 41 tells us. Pay attention. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. John talking about Jesus Christ. When Isaiah uh, had this vision on the throne was the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, the expression of God, the perfect expression of God. God manifested himself in the entire Trinity, in the person of his Son, and the same God in the person of the Son left his state of glory to take Isaiah's place. Where Isaiah's sin abounded, God's grace abounded all the more. The seraphim declared, your, declared, your guilt is taken, take, taken away and your sin atoned for. Jesus, Jesus Christ was the lamb sacrificed for Isaiah's life. Isaiah needed to learn that if something good can come from man, it is only through the grace of God applied to his life. This is God's free decision, a benefit, benefit of love and an unconditional action. Whoever God purifies will be pure before God. Pay attention here. Pay, pay attention here. Whoever God purifies will be pure before God. The same work applied by God in Isaiah's life was also applied to our lives. If we are truly, truly in Christ, even though we are sinners, 
God purify us by the blood of Jesus who died on the cross for us. Someone needed to be killed on the altar of sacrifice because as Paul said to Romans chapter 6 verse 23 for the wages wages of sin is death. We deserve and continue to deserve eternal condemnation. But Jesus has already satisfied the condemnation demanded by God's justice in our place. Every debt to God's law was settled. As our brother Tom Bracefield would say, Hallelujah! <laughs> Praise be God! <laughs> we are pure now through Jesus Christ. We are pure now through His blood. We can serve our Lord. We can have a relationship with Him. Hallelujah! So, what now? We have been purified by the sacrifice of a substitute, and now we can live with God without being destroyed. However, there is something more that God wants to teach Isaiah. The fourth thing God wants us to learn is about the service by grace. We have two verses more, eight and nine. Just when we thought the vision had reached its highest point, we are surprised by yet another event that completes God's plan for Isaiah and also for each one of us in Christ. God created us and we belong to Him. It's correct? Yes. We belong to God. Uh, we can do whatever He wants with us. Did you know this? We, oh, he can do whatever he wants with us. Understood now? <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, and we have a responsibility to obey him. The opposite of obedience is rebellion against God. Don't forget this. Every human being has obligations to our God. But this part, this part of Isaiah's vision is very interesting. When we arrive at verse 8, a new situation is established. Now, Isaiah listens to a conversation between the Lord and someone else. This dialogue is not being directed directed at Isaiah, but is aimed at the heart of this servant of God. A question is asked, whom shall I send? And who will go for us? An important question here is, who is the us in this dialogue? There are different opinions on this but a large number of commentators agree that this was the council of the Trinity. 
the manifestation of perfect wisdom. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. In my opinion, this is exactly it. By understanding that this vision was intended to call Isaiah to prophesy to God's people, only God could call him to this task. Even though Isaiah was not part of the conversation, he offers himself. Here I am. Send me. Here I am. Give me this opportunity. The most interesting thing is that Isaiah was not mentioned, nor asked, nor was he forced, but he offered himself voluntarily. What is happening here is that Isaiah has been blessed by God's grace. Now he desires in his heart to express gratitude to God for the grace given to him. He recognized this. Dear ones, God could order anyone, but he gave this vision to Isaiah because he had chosen him for this task. The call would not be forced, but comes by the power of grace that saves, restores, empowers, and sends. This helps us understand what Paul tells us about no longer being under law, but under grace. The law has not become invalid. invalid. On the contrary, it remains in force. However, the exercise of the law in those who have been truly saved does not happen through the force of obligation, but through joyful gratitude for the grace received. Isaiah gladly offers himself, no matter, matter how difficult this task would be, because it would be a great opportunity to honor the one who was so kind, loving, and gracious to him. Lord, give me this opportunity. Let me serve you. I was blessed. I was blessed. Give me this opportunity. I would like to express my gratitude. Service by grace. Dear ones, when the Lord calls us, it is not because God needs us, but because he wants to give us the privilege of participating with him in his plans. God blesses us with saving grace and calls us to his service by the same grace. In conclusion, 
If you have new life in Christ, you need to understand that God has called you to the service of his kingdom. Let me help you uh, to understand this. First, as a worshiper in your family. If you are a man, be a head, be a husband, be a father, exercising the offices of Christ in your life. As, as a prophet, bring the Lord to your family. As a priest, lead your family to the Lord. As king, govern your home according to the standards, standards of the kingdom of Christ with holiness, reverence, and fear. If you are a woman, for you too, okay? If you are a woman, be a suitable helper, helping your husband in the mission that God determined, determined for him. Dear woman, God made you because men cannot fulfill this mission without you. Help your husband to be a good representative of Christ in the direction of the family. Second, as a worshiper in the church, my beloved, all of us who are in Christ are part of the body of Christ and we receive gifts, gifts from God to serve this body. Do you know what? Do you know what your gifts are? Do you know? How long have you been in a church? How are your gifts? Time of reflection. Click, 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 click. Mm. Who are you in the body of Christ? Who are you in the body of Christ? What is God's calling for your life in the life of your local church? If you are not serving the body of Christ, you are just an another hindrance, hindrance that slows down the advancement of the kingdom. Seek to understand what your gifts are. Third, as a worshiper in the world, you are a neighbor, a citizen, an employee, or boss. You are a friend. Honor the Lord in all areas of your life. Flee from what goes against a holy life to the Lord. And finally, all of us who are in Christ, are called to proclaim salvation in Christ, to make new disciples for Christ. This is not a task for evangelists, but for every disciple of Christ Jesus. Whoever has the gift of an evangelist must, must train the church to fulfill this mission. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12, uh, uh, 11 to 12. Talk about God's love in Christ. Share the gospel of Christ intentionally. 
in your home, in your family, in your neighborhood, at work, in your friendship circles. People are heading towards an abyss of eternal condemnation. Tell them about Jesus. Tell them about Jesus. God called you. You are a representative of God in the world. He doesn't need us, but he has given us this privilege of participating with him in what he is doing, doing in the world. In the arena where the kingdom of Christ advances, destroying the chains of sin, the world and evil, there is no, no place for spectators. There is no place for spectators. Remember, he is holy. You are a sinner. He saved you. It is time to live a life of gratitude, not only in words, but in grateful obedience. To him be all the honor and all the glory in Christ and through Jesus Christ. God bless us, God help us, and God will help us, be sure, God will help us, but we need to look Him, we need to look for Him, we need to seek Him, because He is God, the God of grace. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you one more time for your word. As you called Isaiah, you have called us. Thank you because first you saved us. And now we are your people, your holy people, your nation. Your, your priesthood, real priesthood. And we have a mission to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ in this world. world. Being uh, uh, true worshippers, but also missionaries where we are. Here in New Zealand, around our neighborhood, our, our house. Father, use us for your glory and help us to live a life according to will, according your person, your being. Please, Father. Thank you because we can hope in you. Thank you because we can trust in you. Thank you, Father because we can rest in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.